0: Hi everyone, welcome to One Foot In, where we are introduced to an individual who have already made it one foot into the doors of the top and of fastest growing companies and economies in the world. We will learn who they are, what works for them to get them in, and if you identify with them, then you'll learn exactly what you need to do. Today, we are joined by Hong Gye, who is currently working in Racket Bankiza, also known as RB, as a commercial graduate trainee. RB contains some of the biggest brands in the world, including Detoy, Durex, and Enfargrove. We will deep dive how exactly did a second lower-class graduate, who struggled with studies his entire university life, managed to get one foot into RB. So if you're interested in knowing his secret, then stick around. Otherwise, feel free to skip to the middle where he talks about what he is doing in RB. And finally, if you stay all the way to the end, he will share what skills and traits he wished he had already adopted in university.
1: Hi Kie! Yeah, hi Guangjin. Uh thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be speaking to you over um, the call now for this podcast. So my name is Hong Kiet. I'm currently a commercial graduate trainee at Racket Bankiza, or more widely known as RB. So I'm about uh, one year and four months into my role, and my program will be ending in about a month's time. Yeah.
0: Okay, super awesome. So right, a lot of these conversations that we have, the intent is to really understand who you were before the role. So I was wondering if you want to tell the listeners, right? What were you like in university?
1: Oh, well, I'm sure you know this already since we are university classmates and friends. But <laughs> uh, I was someone who was very laid back. I didn't take school very seriously. I just wanted to cruise along and do well enough to get me through university without doing too badly. So I was um, really someone who didn't pay much attention in class and just uh, doing the bare minimum to get passes here and there. <laughs> yeah, I stayed in Hall 13 in NTU as well as Crescent Hall in my final year. And uh, I was quite phantom, they will call it, in Hall. I didn't take part in much Hall activities or I had a very small circle of friends in Hall. But the thing that really helped me in finding my first position here is taking part in case competitions. So I would say that that is actually one of my bigger takeaways from university. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so it sounds like in uni, right, it's, it's very laid back. But taking a step back, what exactly prompted you to do a case competition? Because it, it sounds like additional work, obviously, right? And, and it's very different from who you were sharing uh, in university. So what exactly drove you to do a case comp?
1: Um, I would say that it came a surprise (laughs) to me also that I would take part in these kind of competitions because before taking part in them, I could foresee many sleepless nights trying to come up with the ideation and then coming up with the actual product prototypes and all that. And I'm not that kind of person that will actually put in this much effort. So (laughs) it was really a surprise (laughs) that I actually took part in these competitions. So actually my friends were the ones who were egging me on and asking me if I would want to take part and joined them because they were just short of one person in their team. So it was a, I would say it's a chance encounter and I went along with it and it led me to many good places and meeting different people that through connecting with them has allowed me to gain knowledge about the industry. And I think that that really helped me a lot. So it sounds
0: as if this case com that you did um, opened up a lot of doors, right? And and what I wanted to know is what exactly is this case com, and how exactly did it open up doors?
1: Yeah. So the the two case competitions that I took part in were actually Laurels Brandstorm as well as Racket Bankiza RB's Global Case Com Challenge, and it led me to different opportunities because through these case competitions, I was actually able to connect with the Uh, talent acquisition team of both companies and after that I landed uh, interviews with these two companies as well and the good thing about taking part in a case competition is I'm not sure if this format still exists for other case competitions and companies but I was actually given the option to fast-track interview process for their management trainee programs so for both of these selection processes there were actually supposed to be around four or five stages but coming in as a finalist for both competitions allowed me to just jump straight to the last stage of the interview process. And that really gave me like a bit of an advantage over the other applicants. And I will say that that is one of the biggest uh, takeaways that I got.
0: Ah, Okay, so I wanted to help the viewers here because it sounds as if that, okay, you're super laid back then your friend asked you to join a case competition, bam, you went there, you did it. And, and I assumed you did well, right? But I, <laughs> I, I think for many people, there's this gap, which is laid back, case comm, bam, you
1: did well. So how exactly do you make the leap? Yeah, I think that the logic gap here is because I failed to, to explain that um, in between my three years of studies in NTU, I actually took one year of gap year away from school before my final year. Ah. And I spent that one year interning at different companies and gaining as much knowledge about the FMCG industry in general and uh, using that knowledge that I've gained through these uh, internship experiences to help me with the case competition. Because one thing that I realized is whatever you learned in school, uh, it can be quite theoretical and it does not necessarily apply to the working environment of a company. So being out there and experiencing it firsthand, how things work in the FMCG industry has really helped me to understand how things actually work and what is the work process and thought process of the company as a whole at a strategic level. And that really um, aided me in being um, able to contribute more when it comes to a case competition setting. So I was able to back my project up with real life experiences, with uh, actual knowledge about the industry rather than going in blindly and just applying whatever I learned in school. And you can only do so much Googling, you know, uh, finding information on Euromonitor and all that. But a- actual working experience can really make a big difference in these competitions that will help you come in and get a good placement in the competition. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I, I completely agree with you right on the on the point that there's only so much googling that you can do. So, I'm sure a lot of our viewers they they feel exactly the same way, which is there's so much googling that I can do and there's so much I can search about a company right before, you know, I have to send out Uh, my resume right before I have to apply for all the internships. On that note, how exactly did you get your very first internship? Was it like a spray and pray or like did you know someone? How exactly did it happen?
1: Well, (laughs) I think that a big part of my life really depended on chance encounters. So I'm uh, I actually started my very first internship not in a FMCG environment, but I went to a headhunting company which did talent acquisition and uh, headhunting for uh, high-level professionals for uh, clients. So the way that I got this internship was through applying on the school portal, and you know it was a lot of uh, test and learn, hit and miss. Kind of uh, like I really just went out there, went for interviews and stuff, and it landed me the first internship at this headhunting company. And while I was there, the roles that I was working on and the candidates that I was speaking to were mostly people from the FMCG industry, and that was what sparked my interest in the industry itself. And because of the nature of the work itself, being a headhunter. Uh, I got to connect with a lot of talent acquisition specialists from the HR teams of my clients. And that was how I started connecting with them and finding out if they had any opportunities. And it, uh, one role just led me to another very naturally. So after my first internship at this headhunting company, uh, I got to know the talent acquisition specialist from L'Oreal. And I, I connected with her. I found out more about the company with her and told her that I was really interested in joining the company and that was how I got my second internship. And from then on, it just came naturally.
0: Okay, super helpful. So it sounds like getting one after that, the path becomes naturally easier. So there's, there's one thing that I wanted to double click on though. So Hongkiet, I think you mentioned luck. Luck being a huge part on what is happening. So I, I think generally there's two schools of thought, right? One believes that, okay, luck is everything, broadly speaking. The second one believes that you really need to work hard and you need to be the right person. And I think the smart answer probably is that it's somewhere in between, right? It's a function of luck and being the right person as well. So I'm, I'm curious about the first internship that you mentioned, the head hunting firm. You were saying that it's luck, right? But I find it hard also to say that you weren't the right person at all. Otherwise, they wouldn't have chosen you. That mm-hmm. being the case, right, who do you think you were then that probably gave you an itch or gave them a reason to select you?
1: Well, yeah, I fully agree with you on this point because um, at that point in time, I wasn't the best student. My GPA was 3.69 at graduation and I was in the second lower class. I struggled with my studies throughout my entire university. I think that the, the trait that helped me get this role was because I'm someone who is naturally very extroverted and I like speaking to people. I like talking to people and hate hunting itself. It is a role that is somewhere in between HR and sales. So they were really looking for someone with that people skill and um, ability to connect with people very quickly. And I guess that is a trait that I had at that point, which helped me to land the role over there. They were able to see that despite me not being like a model student, but um, I'm able to connect with people really quickly. I can engage people. And that is a trait that is necessary for a sales-related role. So I think that that really helped me quite a bit. And on that note, I would like to just you know let everyone who's listening to this podcast know that extroversion and the ability to connect with people they are not that interlinked. You don't have to be a natural extrovert to be able to learn how to talk to people because I've seen so many people around me who are naturally introverts, but through experiences in uh, school and in their working environments, they have actually learned how to sell themselves and learned how to go out there and just connect with people. So I believe that this is something that you can pick up somewhere along in your life and you don't have to be born an extrovert or someone who is very outgoing and gregarious for you to have this skill set. Yeah,
0: solid. Thanks so much for for sharing that additional insight. I think for a lot of the viewers out there, probably to the introverts as well. I was sure that they would feel a little bit scared when you were saying that naturally you're a people's person. But it's very important that you tied it back to say that that essentially everyone can develop the skill, everyone can eventually find a market, find a group of people that they can talk to. And it's very important to always work on this skill itself. So one last question though, was your entire journey of finding internships and winning case competitions, was the experience as smooth sailing as you're describing?
1: Of course not. Definitely not. I think that Uh, eventually everyone gets there and when you look at the people around you people who manage to land roles people who manage to win uh, certain competitions you only see the glory that comes with being able to do and achieve these feats but what people don't see is the number of rejection emails that you get the sleepless nights that you have to go through in order to get something that you really really want so when I was applying for my first internship, I think I was mentioning earlier when I was applying on the school uh, portal, I actually applied for, I think more than 100 roles and only wow. got uh, interviews for about two or three roles. And I only managed to land one and I took the only offer that I got. So I think that another thing that comes off as really important to me when it comes to uh, being a, University student or a job seeker is that you must never give up and you must have that resilience in you because not everyone takes rejection as easily as uh, myself or some people do. I'm someone who is very, very thick skinned. Even if I get rejected 200 times, I will still try again because I believe that there's bound to be a company or uh, a line manager that will appreciate me for my skill set and my talents. So I'm not afraid to keep trying to get what I want. And I want to really urge everyone out there that rejection is very normal. There could only be one role but thousands of applicants. If you didn't get it, it just means that someone else is maybe slightly better than you or luckier than you. So being able to take rejections is very, very important. I was rejected by so many different companies. And I applied for more than five case competitions but only made it through to two so I think that people only see the achievements that you've made, but not the the difficulties and all the problems that you have to face before you actually get there.
0: Wow. But look at you now, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so
0: right. I wanted to double click on one point. I think you said being thick skin, right? For for the people out there that's struggling with rejection, what advice do you have for them? such that they're able to take failure better? Or do you think this is just something that the more times you fail, eventually you will be desensitized? Is there any advice?
1: Mm, I think something that is really, really important as well is to have a, a support network, a group of friends that uh, understand your pain and a group of friends that you can really share all these problems with. Because only when you share these problems with people and you are, when you're able to put down your pride and put everything aside, then you will realize that you are not the only one that is facing all these rejections because everyone else goes through the exact same thing. I don't think I've met anyone who applied for only one role and got it immediately. So once you start sharing these bits of information with the people whom you are close to and those whom you can trust, then you start to realize that, you know, everyone is going through the same thing and that you are not at going at a, play, uh, at a pace slower than anyone else. You're going at your own pace. You'll eventually find somewhere that appreciates you as a talent, appreciates you as a candidate. And then naturally, you'll be able to fit into that environment very well. So don't be afraid to share your successes or your failures with the, your the friends around you. I think that, that is very, very, very important.
0: Got it. So I hope everyone got that. It's really about putting yourself out there, then sharing the experiences, and having a group of friends that can support you along the way. So thanks so much for the advice. Now, we're thinking of taking a step forward a bit more closer to what you're doing right now. So you're working in RB, right? And question, yes. what do you think people often get wrong about the company that you're in? Hmm.
1: Okay, very good question. I think that in the first place, people don't even get anything wrong about RB because people don't know about RB. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) Before I even joined the company, I didn't even know that this company existed. The company, I think that that is one of the biggest uh, misconceptions about the company that people not knowing what the company does and what brands are in the company's portfolio. But in uh, actuality, uh, RB owns many top brands in the world, like the world's number one antiseptic liquid brand Dettol as well as the world's number one condom brand Durex and the world's number one infant nutrition brand uh, Enfagro.
0: Alright, thanks for sharing. Now hopefully we have more people knowing about this. <laughs> what? <laughs> what exactly is the company culture like for RB?
1: Um, I would say that RB is like any other FMCG company. Things move really quickly. The culture is very, very fast-paced and you really have to take ownership of your work and what you do if not you will feel uh left out and left and lagging behind so i think that the company appreciates uh people who are able to be very self-motivated and driven and take charge of the their own portfolios yeah
0: ah on that note what is your function in this company i see like um there's, there's many, right? Um, there's key accounts, there's e-commerce, marketing, trade marketing. So, what's your, what's your role in this company?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think I mentioned a bit earlier that because I'm in a graduate program, so there is a rotational aspect to the job. Um, I get to experience the different functions within the Singapore Commercial Office and like what you mentioned, uh, key account management, which is uh, sales And of course the e-commerce function, uh, marketing and trade marketing. So I get to learn a bit about all the different functions and how they work together. And that gives me a really good overview of how the, the commercial business in Singapore works for an NFMCG company. Yeah. So I've got to try many different things and eventually I will have to land in one of these departments. And uh, begin my career as someone who specializes in that function.
0: Okay. And why did you join this company though? Is it because the case competition itself was, was very inspiring? Did the whole environment feel suited to you? Because you also tried, I believe you mentioned Laurel Case Competition. And I also believe that you mentioned a couple of internships. So why RB though?
1: I think the reason why I joined RB was because as a marketing student by discipline, I have very strong affinity with brands. And I think that the brands in RB really resonated with me. So... Like, for example, Or, it is something that we've been using and sort of taking for granted ever since we were young. You know, like, it's something that is always in your medical cabinet, but you never um, actually thought about it or gave a second thought about this product that is there. It's just always there. You've been using it. And as a marketing student, you know, the thing that comes to me is how can I elevate this brand that is so quintessential and yet taken for granted? How can I push the, the equity of this brand to something that is much stronger and much more um, recognized in its already very recognized state. And that is something that really excited me, like working on brands that are already very established but yet has so much more potential. And the other brands in the company's portfolio also resonated with me very well, um, which is why I eventually chose to join this company.
0: Okay, exactly. And not to mention this year, there's... I mean, COVID going around, right? I'm sure their toy sales are off the roof.
1: Yes, we have. Uh, <laughs> uh even though it's a very unfortunate, uh, there's a very unfortunate pandemic going on, but uh, companies that uh, produce such products will indirectly benefit a bit from this. Yeah,
0: you win some, you
1: lose some. So <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> so right. What do you think helps to get you through the entire process for RB?
1: Mm, so, like I mentioned. Um, There were actually five stages. I was lucky enough to be given, to to be exempted from the first four stages and went straight into the last stage of the interview, which was the assessment center setting. And I think that uh, having gone to many, many assessment centers interviews, something that many people try to do is to display their knowledge and show as much as they know without considering the time and uh, focus that's given to other candidates. I think that in such a, assessment center setting interviewers are probably looking for something more than your own knowledge and what you know about the industry. Something else that I think that they are really looking for is the ability to collaborate with the other candidates that are in the same assessment center grouping as you. So what I noticed is that many people tend to speak top of one another. They try to show as much as they know. And whereas I took a slightly different approach, Whenever I went for assessment center interviews, I tried to take on a more collaborative approach and let everyone have their time to show what they are good at and proposing a solution that uses everyone's strengths rather than trying to compete with one another. And I think that that will make you a slightly more attractive candidate than someone else who's always trying to show what they know and uh, talk over others. Yeah,
0: Got it. There's also one thing that I can't help but uh, notice During all of your replies, I I couldn't help but but pick up that it seems like very naturally in an interview setting, I I think you're quite comfortable speaking and, and expressing yourself fairly calmly. And and this is so different from, I'll say like almost everyone that's going for an interview, especially when you talk about your case competition experiences, especially when you talk about how when you went for the assessment center, you you could be calm enough to have a collaborative approach. So to all the viewers out there, right, that are probably extremely nervous right before an interview, Um, how exactly should they keep themselves calm? What exactly can they do or any best practices that you have to share?
1: You know what, Jin, I really love this question because I I actually have the answer (laughs) to this question that could help a lot of people. For me myself, I used to be quite afraid of speaking in public because I'm someone with a lot of pride and I'm really, really scared of screwing up. So I always tend to be very nervous before interviews or doing any form of public speaking. And I kept asking myself, why do I screw up? Why do I have difficulties trying to express what is so clear in my head? And the answer to that is really something that is so simple. And it just I just had this eureka moment one day to help me solve this problem, which is just remind yourself that you have to speak slowly. And it's as simple as huh. that. Once you're able to consciously tell yourself to slow down the way that you speak and to not rush into things, then I think that that would naturally help you to express yourself better. Because a lot of times we have all these great ideas and all these thoughts in our head laid out perfectly as though there is like floor plan in your head. But then when you speak too quickly, your mouth actually starts working a lot faster than your brain and things start coming out like gibberish, you know? So I think that this tip that I have for anyone who's listening to this podcast is really just remind yourself to slow down the speed in which you are talking. That will really, really help you to articulate much better and stay calm and stay composed. So whenever you feel like you are speeding up, just slow down, give yourself some time to think about what you are actually saying and what you're going to say and it will help you a lot. Okay,
0: I'm going to try that out. (laughs) You hear me speaking slower Okay (laughs) Got it, got it I I, I think excellent advice I completely resonate with it as well I think that very often My mouth just goes off flying And my brain is like trailing behind Um, A few more questions that I'm sure the viewers are probably interested About this company What exactly is RB looking out for In their candidates?
1: Hmm. So I believe that Because of the nature of the business, and I'm sure many other uh, undergrads now that are actively searching for a position or those that are very interested in the FMCG industry, you probably would have heard that it is a very fast-paced industry. Things are always changing. There are so many new product innovations that come in every year and you have to be able to keep up. Instead of like a trade that I have in mind, for what the company is looking for. I think they actually are looking for people with the ability to keep up rather than a specific working or personality trait. So if you're able to show that you are constantly able to keep up with the trend, constantly able to keep up with what's going on around you and matching the pace of those that are around you, I think that you will definitely stand out as a candidate to the company itself.
0: Okay, so for all the viewers out there as well, Maybe we can try with your portfolio. How exactly has your portfolio then expressed this value? Maybe the way that you have done the internships, the case competitions, probably they could have happened all at the same period. Is that how you can express that you are suitable for a fast-paced environment?
1: Yeah, I think, of course, the best way to show that you are suitable for a fast-paced environment is coming from a fast-paced environment itself. But with that said, I really want to assure those uh, year one and year two students who have not had any previous internship experiences, that there are definitely uh, instances around you or experiences that you have that can actually prove that you are someone that can match up to the pace and someone who is able to keep up with the latest trends and changes around you. So don't worry too much if you don't have any prior experiences and try to find something that you have experienced in your life or in school to be able to show that you are someone that can keep up with changes and someone that can constantly adapt to things that are changing around you. And with that said, for those who actually had uh, prior experiences in FMCG companies, the best way to sell yourself is actually to show that your experiences match the, the pace and the portfolio of the company that you're applying to. Of course, many people think that I can only apply to a company that has a similar product portfolio or similar business that my current company has. But I think that what I've noticed in the people around me and the other candidates around me is that as long as you are able to find the link between what you are doing now and the position that you're applying for, then you stand a very good chance to prove that you are someone that can actually match the expectations of the company that you're applying for.
0: Okay, super helpful advice. Um, there's one segment that you actually mentioned. You mentioned the people who don't exactly have FMCG experience already. So one helpful tip that you gave was for them to tap into their own life. I was wondering if you could give any examples. I'm not sure if this applies to you itself. Whether there's any parts of your life that was fast-paced. Because I think for a lot of the viewers... I'm not sure if they understand what exactly is fast-paced even. And, and therefore, they probably don't have any clear examples or something that they can relate to that is not a working experience that is fast-paced. So I was wondering mm-hmm. if you have any examples to share.
1: Yeah, I think that we are living in an increasingly digitalized world. And during our time, right, Wang Jin, when we were in school, it was where we experienced the different social media apps that were being released and the change in trends for these different social media apps. So we actually came from using Twitter to Snapchat and after that, Instagram released Instagram stories. And now I think that many people don't even use Instagram anymore and are constantly on TikTok. So something as minor as this can help you to show your knowledge about how trends apply in your daily life and how you are actually able to understand where the trends are moving towards and whether you yourself are able to apply yourself to these trends. So I'm sure that um, there are many other things that are ongoing now that we are not even familiar with. But for those that are listening to this podcast, you can actually use something as minor as this to showcase how you are in touch with the trends. So really, uh, really capitalize on how digitalized the world is coming and uh, use that to your advantage
0: man now I feel so old like I <laughs> yeah. I don't
1: I'm know i to keep myself young by downloading TikTok
0: oh my god same but I'm not an active user yeah. <laughs> I'm completely not an active user at all I don't know man
1: just look around and see <laughs> what they're doing <laughs>
0: Oh my God, exactly, exactly. Okay, so on that note, right, I think I think excellent advice, super clear as well, that to all the viewers out there, you can share that you have a fast-paced life very simply by sharing your social accounts. And I'm sure that if you have social account and maybe if you post once a week or otherwise, um, probably you can share this and why exactly you do. And that could yeah. suggest uh that you're fast-paced as well. So excellent, yeah. excellent advice. Yes, yes, exactly. Thinking about your time back in university, what is one skill now retrospectively that you wish your pre university self or your university self have learned or mastered?
1: Hmm. When you're talking about a specific skill set, I will say that something that I wish I could have done better or familiarized myself with more will be. P&L knowledge, definitely, profit and loss knowledge, being able to identify the different lines in the P&L and understanding how different aspects of the business can affect your net revenue and your gross margin at the end. I think that that is a knowledge that is very important in no matter what industry that you go to because in the entire P&L statement, you are able to see where you are exactly in this company, what exactly do you contribute to and how your contribution can bring value to the company, whether you're affecting the top line of the business or whether you're affecting the bottom line of the business. And that will give you a very good indication of what you should be doing, what can you do even better to make um, the business more viable and more successful. What about
0: a trade? if there's a trait that you feel you developed um, during the course of pursuing your internships or maybe now at work, there's a particular trait that you have that you wish you could transfer, what would that be?
1: If it's a personality trait or like something else that I wish I could have done earlier in my life, I would think that Staying connected and staying in touch with people is something that I regret not doing in my university days. I think I mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast that I was a bit of a hermit. I lived my own life in Hall. I did my own things. And uh, only when I started working, then I realized how important these connections are. Of course, we're not saying uh, make these connections and uh, make use of people for what they are worth. And uh, that's not the kind of message that I'm trying to bring across, but more like staying in touch with people and being connected with them can actually lead you to many opportunities and helping others at the same time can also help you realize how important you are and uh, give yourself a good confidence boost occasionally so keeping in touch with people connecting with one another and helping each other out when they need it i think that that's something that i wish i could have done a bit earlier in my life and i think that uh, maybe things would have been a bit different for the better if I was able to do that in university.
0: Got it. So make friends, not connections, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. And help each other out whenever you can.
0: Super clear. So thanks so much for sharing, Hongkye. Thanks for being so candid. One last question before we wrap things up. Is there anything that you would like to tell all of our listeners before we end this podcast?
1: Yeah, I think this is going to sound very, very cliche. <laughs> but <laughs> go on, hit it. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say, you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else. (laughs) And it's not just in the aspect of like, you know, relationships and all that. Loving yourself comes with a lot of aspects. And I think that being able to truly understand yourself and appreciate yourself for your own talents and the things that are unique about you will already differentiate yourself from others. You don't have to constantly strive to do well in like a certain skill set or to do well in a certain aspect in life just to prove that you are different. I think... Everyone has something about them that is unique and if you're able to embrace that about yourself and own it, make it your own, you are going to stand out naturally. So don't try to be someone else. Love yourself first, then uh, everything will come naturally in your way.
0: Okay, super awesome. Thanks so much Hongkiet for sharing. This is Hongkiet from RB and this is how he got one foot in to the company.